This is VK Lakinani with ROI MediaWorks, and you're listening to SME Stories with Kat. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having the show. We got a great up today with VK Lakinani. Now, VK is a digital marketing entrepreneur. He's also an Amazon best-selling author, technology enthusiast with a passion for marketing, strategic business, business growth, and operations. He's currently the CEO of ROI MediaWorks and the chief mindset coach at Mindset Monk. VK is passionate about helping businesses and individuals navigate everyday life using mindset skills he learned and practice over the years. So some of the, his accomplishments that we talked about, we saw about the three, he's actually a three-time Amazon best-selling Sorry, best-selling author. He's also a Tele Award recipient and also a TEDx speaker. So I think today we're going to have a very interesting episode with VK, and I'm looking to hear a lot of the little nuggets that we can pass on to us the listeners. So sit back and absorb. All right, guys, we have VK Lacanini, ROI Media Works. VK, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing awesome, Ken. How are you? Cold. It's starting to get cold here. <laughs> if we're, we're, it's, it's getting cold here on Ontario. It's like single digits now, and uh, and that's degrees Celsius for my American listeners. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the first snowfall. And like we talked about on the pre-show, can't wait to use my snowblower at least once or twice th- this year. And that's it. I'm, I'm good. I, 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 the novelty <laughs> will wear off. How about you? Oh, same year. Like we had snowstorm uh, in Burnaby. Uh, like. Hometown is Kamloops, so snow is kind of pretty usual and got used to it. And uh, I, I do enjoy the seasons, but it comes with a lot of work, too, like you said. <laughs> uh, but snowblower is a great investment, by the way. It is. And my, I have two young kids, my eight year old and a 10 year old, who at this point, VK likes shoveling. I'm waiting for them to where the novelty wears off, right? Because right now it's a new thing. And knowing my son, he's going to want to use the snowblower, which I'm not going to let him do because I, I don't trust him as far as I can throw. So, you know, aside from that, thanks for coming on the show. So ROI Media Works, what is your story? Well, um, it's a digital media agency. Basically, we help small and medium businesses with their advertising, marketing, and some PR, and also some application development where it's needed. And most of these businesses are um, between five to 20 employees and sometimes even, you know, less than five employees. Um, and what they usually miss out is the, the whole strategy, like knowing what really works and also catching up with the technology. I found the niche in that segment and we work with uh, dentists, lawyers, golf courses, some tourism companies. Um, like we're boutique, like we customize the strategy for each of these clients. So uh, there's a huge difference between an agency selling packages versus what we do for our clients. And that significantly made a great difference for the last 14 years. Um, so we've been building and adding clients year on year. And then there are some standard clients for the last 10 years. Um, so it's it's been great, like, you know, with COVID or not, it's a new challenge, but uh, we're still figuring a few th- things out with uh, with the new, uh, you know, uncertainty. And I think a lot of uh, business cut down those advertising budgets right away when these type of things happen. Uh, but just accommodating that and still willing to grow and still having that same hustle when we started. Yeah, no, that, that's pretty cool. So, so how big of a team do you have working, uh, running your venture right now? At any time, we have even three to five, like full-time employees and two contractors. And then, you know, post-COVID, we had up, like up to 11. Like, you know, it's just all about um, modifying the team as needed. And I think uh, we start looking at profitability and what needs to be done. So as an employer, you're not legally tied up with all the responsibilities and you just never know, right? Like, you know, when you let go somebody, it's hard to let go long-term team player but also the compensation that you had to provide it's going to be uh, you know a big huge compensation depending on how long they are um, so in a way covid you know gave me the opportunity to really look at it and see what can we automate what can we really restructure 
what are the things that I can do myself because I was kind of really doing less work because it's mostly delegated to the teams and I was just overseeing things. So I stepped back into the business a little bit just looking at like what needed to be done like everybody else, right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and so you were talking about like, so some of these people you've had to let go and you have a lot of contractors. So are these contractors on a per project kind of uh, agreement so that when a client comes on needing a no, specific service? No, you do they're, they're, they're full-time. Um, oh, they're full-time? Okay. But not permanent, right? Like for graphic design and things like that. Like we don't do graphic design as full-time. But when clients ask for it, okay, we need a, a branding oh, package or logo, then I do have this contractor we just been working with, and they're happy with that four projects a month or whatever, right? Yeah, I think for some contractors, they might like the idea of, you know, it might be nice for them to stay full time. But like you said, if it's something that they can get a couple of projects a month out of it, so they have the flexibility to maybe flex their creativity muscle on something else, it's nice to know, right? Yeah, like definitely what I have seen is everything is gig economy now, like especially um, the tools that you want to use, for example, anything to do with the social media and graphic design. When certain age groups grew up with that technology, it's easier for them to use and how to use it for business purposes or monetize it in a way as a creator, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that age group loves to um you know be a wanderlust like you know i just want to work on this gig and i want to travel and i want to live life that's something i have seen a huge shift in the last five years even pre-covid uh which which is fine i think you know we're just looking at getting the project work done and then it's up to the par and 100 percent client is happy and it doesn't matter where this person is or whether it's full-time or not um I have even uh, met some entrepreneurs with uh, zero staff and having everything delegated and done overseas and they travel full time. Uh, and I was like, that's, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, my kids actually are part of this podcast actually. So when you actually hear the episode, you hear my daughter do the intro and yeah, my son yeah, will be that. doing a few of the, uh, the, the segments himself. And, uh, you know, my daughter actually wants to be an entrepreneur herself. Like she's actually yeah. planning on opening up a restaurant and she's, she's only 10. And, uh, I promised not to name the restaurant yet. Cause she doesn't want anyone to take the name, but she definitely wants to open up something. And I was yeah. like, wow, that's, that's great. My son who's eight, he's like, he wants to be a teacher. I said, why? So I can tell people what to do. Right. That's all. That's all he thought teachers do. So, Who's who to thunk? But uh, anyways, back to ROI Media. So I guess my next question would be, um, you have it right now, so they're kind of like contracted some employees. Are you actually going to be getting a physical space or are you going to keep like this remote hybrid model that uh, that a lot of people like to use? Uh, we've been remote for almost two years now, two and a half years, and we still have the office space where we meet. And there are no strategies to really do some kind of bond building and whatnot, right? Like face-to-face, some activities. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some new tools online, but it's different. When you sit down and hang out after hours and have a beer, it's totally different conversation than doing virtual. I think there are still some challenges there. But for me, I am like to keep it remote as much as possible. And it kind of brings the cost down too, right? Like we are in recession, we're heading into something even bigger that we haven't seen before. So how do I protect my family and also their families and making sure there's enough cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what's your goal for the next five years for your company right now? So for ROI Media Works, what do you see in the next five years? What's How big you guys think you're going to get? Like we we are like six figures and we have about 110, 120 clients and, you know, about 20% of them are uh, recurring marketing clients. Um, it's just all about like keeping up with the technology, right? Like it's not the same as 10 years ago. So how do I train my people and keep innovating and keep relevant in the given markets and still growing? Um, like, you know, 99% of businesses die off like after five years or 10 years uh, i don't remember the exact mark right that was my initial goal like i wanted to cross that i want to be an entrepreneur and prove that like i had two other companies 
2010 and then in 2015 that I had to practically just early exit and kill them because I just didn't have time. So I focused on where it's needed too, right? So this is kind of like a long-term goal. And then how do I have somebody, um, you know, to go and run with it, right? Like it's a brand now, people know the company. So how do you maintain it, whether I'm here or not? In 10 years, I might sell the company, but it's still somebody taking it over and running with it, right? I mean, I already get people asking me, like, why did you sell your clients? Because you're onto a lot of other things. And I'm like, I love working with clients. So I like to keep it that way for at least for the next five years. Yeah, as, as long as it's fun at this point, like you, there's a there's a value to it and you're, you're helping other people, I think, why not, right? I think once you yeah. get to the point where it's like it is, becomes a chore, and you don't look forward to, to your day, okay, then maybe you want to either sell it off or whatever, right? But uh, I just want to touch a little bit on this. So I was looking at your bio here, and you are a TEDx speaker, a three-time Amazon best-selling author. Do you want to talk about that to the listeners? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, like, this is like 2017 onwards, right? Like, I went through, uh, you know, a messy divorce, and then I was really looking at, I got all my boxes checked, like, you know, I'm so successful and I had this and then something didn't go well as planned. So that definitely took me on my spiritual journey to look at what's more needed, right? Even though I've been a person that's giving back to the community in the past, but that really put me into what my priorities are for myself. So I was like, I need to go and change the world. And then at the same time, I realized if I'm not the person that has the knowledge and has the mental stability to understand these things, how can I change the world, right? And I always look back at my childhood, back growing up in India and with basic necessities are not really there. Um, and then somehow I made it all the way here. And the hope for 1 million kids, uh, TEDx talk is about a uh, little bit about my journey and how many other kids are suffering in the same way and what can we do about it. Right. And, and hope for one million kids is also uh, a nonprofit that I started, uh, usually helps anything related to kids, education, poverty, and uh, sex trafficking, that kind of issues. And that led me into connect with the connecting with like, you know, some prominent people who are the books and I'm like, okay, I'm writing my book, but I can't put everything up by myself. So why don't we co-author a book and it's all self-published and put it out and see where it goes. Right. And I think what made a difference is this book is very similar to, you know, Chicken Soup for the Soul series type of books, right? They're different stories from people that's inspiring and every story is unique and there is something in it for everybody. So that really made a huge difference when, you know, when it became Amazon bestselling author. Uh, all these three books, they're, they're different, like one on spirituality and more on gratitude, one on purely entrepreneurship, one more on the personal journey, like how Perseverance really helped me to uh, grow and nurture my skills and compete in the real world. Yeah, we'll make sure we get the uh, we'll get the Amazon links on the show notes uh, to make sure that the listeners can definitely pick up your book because you know that's great. It's not just one time being a best selling author, just one time. You got three times here, so that means you must be doing something right uh, in order to do this, right? So you co is you co-authored all three books, or you kind of yeah, co-authored the first one? Yeah, co-authored all three books, and I'm still working on my own book. And I think it's just kind of like, um, even though you have everything, you have that fear of like, oh, am I missing something? Is this right, right? Um, like my new personal new brand is like Mindset Monk, uh, where it's courses and books very specifically geared towards uh, people going through midlife crisis and trying to look at like what happened right and that's kind of something inspired from my own journey again right so i have i think different pillars like okay connecting to my childhood struggles this is something that can solve these problems and looking at my midlife crisis this is how i can solve these problems Right. And, and all of these are available on my personal website, luckyinany.com. Uh, like the books are there, different products are there, my nonprofit initiatives are there as well. Um, and I, I know personally when others try to write, um, they look at it like, do I really want to co author? Like, you know, it's my story. And there are kind of some possessiveness and also 
ego kicks in and I don't want to be part of something else. It has to be me, which is fine. But I think uh, when I'm starting over, at least for myself, nobody knows about you. Why would somebody buy a book from, you know, VK in Canada? And this is where the people, the other people, like one book is with Jack Canfield. Everybody knows Jack Canfield. So that kind of gave me the credibility to associate with him because I have taken his programs and I volunteered on some of his programs. So uh, it's there is a bigger picture. Um, these authors miss out and they take years and years before even they get the hospital out. Well, yeah, I think just generally writing, I think maybe people might think of, oh, maybe if I ever do a book, it'll just be that one book about my life. But when yeah. you have different segments that really you can write a book about, it does take a lot of time because a lot of people like presidents of the United States, they have their memoirs that they do at the end of their presidency. Right. So to talk about yeah. everything they possibly could. So interesting to talk about that. So sorry. Back to uh, ROI here. Uh, so we talked about that right now. So you're doing you're running a basically a digital marketing firm that does a lot of different things. So for someone, people who might want to want to get into that space, is there any big ticket expense that they might not that they th that they should actually be aware of when they're doing it? Because for some people, they might say, oh, yeah, I mean, I have as long as I got my laptop and a phone, I should be good. But is there anything else? Uh, to run a digital marketing firm successfully? With the, with the firm, like I started as a programmer back in England, working for like a top five agency there. And I, I learned so much so quick because Google Analytics wasn't there that day. So I was programming all these tracking cookies, first party, third party. So I learned so much so quick. And then when I wanted to start my agency, this is the time when I moved to uh, Canada from London, UK. I realized that just being a knowledge person, an expert in that one department is not good enough to be an entrepreneur. And I had to invest into my personal education on understanding finances, understanding bookkeeping, and how you actually set up systems and process and how do you manage HR. Um, so there was definitely a lot of up upfront cost on fine tuning the idea and putting into uh, a business canvas model, which is very popular to use and narrowing into, yes, it's a viable business and I can take it off. And it's a huge investment, right? Like I took at least nine months doing market research segmentations and market validation. And how do you create the, the, the packages? Like at the time we were looking at what the industry is and we kind of moved away from packages from, from then. But you just got to go and look at what's market offering and then how do you compete with it and how do you be uh, relevant. And when I look at the sales and when we create these services, um, it's a service. Like sales is a service. It's not something you're selling customer. You're solving a problem, right? Like how do you build that mindset, right? And I have uh, mentors through the years. Like I spend like fifteen to $20,000 a year just on personal development and business coaching, because at the end of the day, it all falls down to uh, my core values in terms of integrity and truthfulness uh, and honesty. How do I want to run my business, right? Like not every business that has a face looks and runs exactly the same. So how do I protect my core values while still getting into the entrepreneurship and maintaining that, right? So continue education. That would be a huge expense. And uh, the next thing is having these mentors and uh, proper uh, people. Like, you know, you, you, I, I can't do accounting. I can look at, okay, I made this much money, but how does that look in terms of cash flow and balance sheet? I have no clue, right? So you have a bookkeeper or accountant that helps you with that, right? And then having the HR person to take care of some of these things so you're not breaking any... Uh, uh, labor loss, right? right? And then hiring the right people. So it's it's a combination of having the knowledge, having the right people, and keeping waiting. And this comes with a lot of expenses in the first three to five years because you're still figuring it out and still want to be competitive. And then when you try to scale up, it's a different challenge. Now you have like some other clients, let's say 30 or under, 
and then you're trying to scale from 30 to 100 clients and it's totally a different ball game and one thing that um you know i'm a system and process guy right uh like i don't know if you know the sdi index so looking at your sdi index what kind of people do you want to be in the team right it has to be relevant and somebody's picking up somebody's house trash basically i don't like paperwork it's not trash but it's important i just use that uh but somebody else has to do it right so how do you create that team and that becomes critical when you're scaling the business system yeah and that goes back to that adage you know you better hire slow but fire fast right when mm-hmm. you have the, the the people that's there because employees are a very big expense right like you said not just from the compensation all the benefits if you offer benefits and stuff like that and i think nowadays too i think with the gig economy that we talked about it's sometimes really hard to find a really good person to work with because mm-hmm. i don't know if it's because of covid that people got comfortable with the government money coming in that they become more picky with uh, with where they want to go and i've heard of thank god some of my guests they've told me that they've actually had people try to come up to work for them to say hey can you pay me in cash I'm still getting government money, so can you still pay me in cash or can I still do it? And thankfully, they all said, no. It's either yeah, one or like, the other. You know? this, this is where the values come in, right? Like, I know there are some restaurants, like, you know, just employ under the table, too. And it happens all the time, not just with COVID. Uh, but when it comes to whether people want to go back to work or not, um, I believe uh, with the how the system is structured basically you go to school you get a job and it pretty much becomes a slave to that job right like eight ten hour days at work you spend more time at work than with your family and when you had that break all these people that were doing that all of a sudden they find their freedom right they realize they don't have to do that anymore and this is where they're like okay i can just take a gig work on it and that's enough money i'm happy with it but I think this is where the work-life balance is kind of missing. Like you're kind of having more fun versus work. But again, like they will come back to the senses. Okay, you know, there's no more government money. What I'm going to do now, right? I mean, as a perfect example, right? Like everybody's talking about um, Elon Musk letting go all these Twitter stuff, right? Uh, I have seen multiple times in Silicon Valley, like I go there every six months just to sit down and connect with people. The employees doesn't do... 100% time, like many other small and medium businesses do. For example, you know, my team, they put in like 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, depending on the workload. Same goes to a coffee shop, same goes to Tim Hardens. But in Silicon Valley, it's not the same. You get a task, you get it done, you're good for the day because there's no more work. Because all these companies, like from Apple to Twitter, everybody just wants to retain the employees Two reasons. So my competitor can't have them. The second reason, it might come in handy when I have surplus cash, right? So that that whole culture now, you know, Elmas came in and said, I'm finding these people because, you know, I, I could be wrong, but this is what I have seen from my personal experience. But there are times, like, you know, a job can be done in an hour that's taking like four hours because there are four different people involved in it rather than one person got trained on the multiple levels, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the savings. But all these people now go back and competing with the real workforce that have been competing with them, right? And these people that had multiple hats now easily can kick their ass, basically, if somebody from Tip trader applies for a job okay you're dedicated in this one line but this guy had multiple talent he can do graphic design he can do seo he can do content writing he can do wordpress website development you know that's a huge value for somebody hiring so it's it's eye awakening at multiple levels like all these people can go back and get initial training and whatnot uh, but it's interesting it's one of the challenges through covid and whatnot but we are seeing all these um people that are just coming out and trying to be productive now. Well, yeah, that, that's the challenge, right? Because, I mean, they were making a lot. And I don't know how, with the whole Twitter thing that's going on, I don't know how it's going to go moving forward. I don't, I don't personally use Twitter, so that's why I can't really comment too much on it. But, yeah, hearing how much it's people have left or have got fired or whatever you want the case may be, 
I'm kind of curious to see how it does perform, right? Because I get for the from what I understand, it still looks exactly the same. So then I kind of may, begs the question: So what were all these people who were there doing? Because if they've lost over half the staff, and the interface is still the same, people can still tweet, people can do whatever. Maybe something we're not just seeing, you know, that, that that's the thing, because I don't use it, the, the tool. It's, um, yeah, it's very normal with, like, with any company, you look at the core team, right? Like core team of engineers, and uh, there is a research and development team, there's marketing, there's sales. Um, you know, a lot of these people, I, I think he mistakenly fired some of those core team too. But as long as the core team is there, the rest of them, you know, it can be automated, right? Like the spam checkers, right? You can have an AI that's doing that, right? All this person is probably doing is just looking at the check marks and print a report end of the day and it's done, right? Yeah. And then I heard, I think you're the, I'm sure you heard, you know, the news as well that I think Apple is apparently trying to take Twitter off the, their, uh, off of the Apple platform. And Elon says, <laughs> oh, I might just build my own phone. So, I mean, <laughs> You can say what you want about Elon. He's actually sent people to space. He helped generate the actual electric car. That's now the, the trend that everyone wants to go to. And uh, if he wants to do something, I can. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't put it past him that he can probably do it. Now, will it yeah. be as good as the Apple phones or the Androids or the Samsung, whatever? Who's to know? Because I'm sure each of them has their unique challenges on how to build things, but. I I feel like he's a builder, so he'll if he wants to build something, he'll find a way. So yeah, it's like the mad scientist, right? Like yeah, <laughs> create things. Um, like with with Apple, like they have the cash, and that's what really floating the company right now. Like uh, uh, ever since um, you know Steve Jobs is gone, there I don't see the same kind of innovation anymore. It's just the same same repackage, same same repackage, and. Their focus is shifted more onto the software development and how to use it uh, effectively. But it's 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 a long game. It's a it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Yeah. So anyway, so back to back to ROI here, and you we talked about your social media. Now we're not a social media podcast, but how important is the social media that you guys currently use for your business? Um, it depends, right? You have to be where your clients are, right? Like. I was on all platforms and tested what's really working, what's not. Uh, and, you know, for B2B, LinkedIn is great, right? But if you're in a business that's facing consumers, then, you know, Instagram and Facebook is great. And if you're strictly focusing on people that are ready to buy your product, Google is right. So it's all about recognizing what's important, but just have the presence, right? Like, I wouldn't like it if somebody takes off my Twitter handle and creates an Instagram account with that and then realize that I can't have it when somebody else posting something that I don't agree with or, you know, meet my expectations. It's at the end of the day, people just look at the handle. Is it the same guy, right? Like it creates that confusion. So I suggest all business should be on all these platforms, but pick one or two that's really relevant for the customers and they have to do their own research and combination research, right? Yeah. If, you know, somebody's running a restaurant and, other restaurants are doing really well on Facebook and in, on Instagram for branding, then you had to be there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we're going to move on to the actual industry here. So in your opinion, VK, what is the state of the digital marketing industry and where do you think it's going right now? Oh, I have seen it. Like, you know, um, I started my first <laughs> Uh, like freelancing, you call it. Um, it used to be Rommel Group Limited. I was, I just created like Nate.com at the time and reselling products for other companies and really optimizing site, my site. So, you know, at some point, my website was ranking like number one for buy iPhone UK and Apple is number two, right? So I learned a lot of things over the years and that was the beginning. And now, a lot of these things has been changed in terms of how Google looks at a website and what kind of schemas they're using and how they're automating a lot of these processes using AI and not the real people looking at anything, right? So from switching something manual and evolving into more human form of understanding, 
what the website is, right? When Google wants, you know, crawls a website, basically they're looking at what is the user experience here? Like how does users navigate on this website? So it's all built for users than the bots, right? Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to advertising platforms on Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, um, they're all new platforms. But one thing that I have consistently seen is the span of each platform is getting less and less, right? Like MySpace lasted longer, right? And then I remember MySpace, yeah. Yeah, and then Facebook, and then, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. But TikTok gained way more traction in a way short period compared to any other platform in the past. So the speed of things that are happening is way quicker than, okay, I can wait a year before I can get on one of these platforms. It might be too late. Right. And there are a couple of other new platforms like Clubhouse and, you know, how do you share your voice? Right. Like, and there are um, other platforms that are tied to crypto and Bitcoin and uh, monetized in a Web3 environment. So the industry keeps evolving and taking new forms, but also getting fragmented to uh, a different type of mediums. Right. Like people who like to watch videos versus who just likes to listen to audiobooks and who just want to read a book. So the, the platforms are getting fragmented and we we just never know. Like with uh, when the Neuralink comes out, it might be true, totally new. <laughs> well, you know, apparently, <laughs> well, the funny thing you, you talked about VK is that, you know, apparently to young people, Facebook is for dinosaurs, right? So, I mean, I still use it because it, I guess it was popular when we, when I was using it. And I, I, funny thing is, I sell a lot of my stuff through Facebook Marketplace, so I still utilize it. I don't really post anything on Facebook. I think the only time I might do it is the occasional kids' birthday photos, mm-hmm. but that's basically about it. You're not going to see me posting a lot. I know with Instagram, it's very visual, so I know to promote the podcast, I do a lot of uh, promotion on that end. And, but I agree, LinkedIn is really good as well for the business to business because I've landed a few gigs through LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. well, currently, what I'm doing now, which is hosting or co-hosting the Jaybird Watching podcast uh, that I do Tuesdays at seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Shameless plug, and then of course doing some voiceover work for some other people as well. So it's kind of like it's interesting how you can find these things. So b- back to yeah. the industry here. So what do not sorry? What part of the digital marketing space do people not really they misunderstand about it when they when they hear someone's a digital marketer? What do they normally think? Um, you know, with the gig economy, it's easier to misinterpret, like, a graphic designer can be content specialist, which is not true. And a content specialist cannot be a graphic designer unless, you know, you have that specialization. And a lot of businesses miss out looking at it, okay, I'm a marketer, but what kind of marketer are you? And how do you differentiate yourself? Right? And small and medium business have no clue most often what they're signing up for. I'm paying two three thousand dollars a month, and then all I'm getting is the Facebook and Instagram posts and the photos that I send to this agency, right? But how do you monetize that? How do you build a brand value? And the fundamentals of advertising and marketing hasn't been changed, right? Still the brand value, still the word of mouth. Still building the trust, you're still building the integrity with the brand, and make convince people to come and you know have the restaurant experience or buy a product from you. And those fundamentals, like if you look at any Ogilvy uh, marketing books, they're they're all standard, right? Like the blueprint of any advertising marketing. Those hasn't been changed, but the platforms and the technology being being used has been changed significantly. Yeah, and just so. Unless you know this core blueprint of whole industry, you can't really say Instagram is going to help you because all I know is graphic design, so I'm trying to sell the Instagram <laughs> service. <laughs> so just you know, I think businesses are learning somewhat now, and you know, avoiding these type of people. But that's that's the hard thing. Um, and you know, I. I had multiple roles, right? Like being a programmer and a marketing strategist and, you know, for my business operations and my own business. So I can see differently than somebody who's just doing one thing, right? 
Right, right. Absolutely. So, all right. So, what I'd like to ask all my guests this what has been your biggest failure, but also your biggest success running your business? Uh, there are many failures and successes, I can tell you right off the bat. Um, you know, I always believed in fail forward, right? Like, you create a product, you experiment with it, you, you, you learn like a lot by doing, not just, you know, on the paper, like you, you know, get your hands dirty by literally building the things that you want to. And I think, um, you know, the two other companies um, that I had early exists and too early to the markets, um, you know, like back in 2009, 2010, we're literally building like augmented reality apps for automotive industry. And even now, it's still not mainstream, but it's there, right? Like you can use your iPhone to, uh, you know, use the Aldar technology to really create the 3D models. But how do you use it effectively, right? Like the industry we're moving into is like all the VR. So uh, we built such a tools around um, automotive industry that integrates with the websites. And that was way too early to the technology. And then uh, Buddy Golf, another app, basically it helps you find fellow golfers and it's a social community app rather than just a booking platform. And that idea was stolen by one big company that we had NDS with and replicated everything that we had, even though there were NDS and stuff, right? Um, even though there are failures, I learned a lot. No matter how small it is, you want everything in writing, either trademark, copyrighted, and have some proof of that they're not going to step over you and just run with $30 million, right? So with the success, I think I always wanted to run my own business and I always wanted to have that freedom for my family and do other things in the community. And that's something it doesn't come one day. It's like one step at a day and there are bad days or good days. Um, and that's something I look up to every single day because every day is grateful. And today, you know, we're doing this podcast and I'm like, by 7 a.m. this morning, my inbox was empty and I'm like, great, right? It took me four to seven, like three hours just to clear my stuff. So I have rest of my day to focus on reading a book or, you know, self-healing. So I do a lot of other things for personal growth too. So I think that's something you can't trade it with anything else, right? Like you're not bound by any rules and you have all the freedom to do whatever you want. And you have, you know, I'm not super rich, but I have, enough that I can have a comfortable living for myself and look for my kids. So um, I'm very grateful that it happened over the last uh, 10 years, even though there are you know, some hiccups. Uh, I, I think that's the biggest success I can relate to myself because it's, it's kind of like hard work and you earn, you know, it's kind of like a win after a tennis match, right? You feel good about it because you put your sweat and, you know, sweat and blood into it. And it's the same thing with life. And it's just not the business, like even in personal life too. Uh, I, I mentioned like I'm a very spiritual person. So I'm very, I stay curious and I look at the ways how we can improve ourselves so that we can make a, a bigger difference for the people around us in the community. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's great. Great you're talking about like that. So um, I, there's nothing much I can add to that. Cause, I mean, that's great to hear because I think what I want to make sure that people understand is the real stuff when it comes to this thing. So it's not just all the good things, because I'm sure if we wanted to ask VK all the successes he has and we focus the entire episode on that, I'm sure it'll be fun. But at the same time, you're not getting the realistic picture because then if someone listens to that and be like, OK, I'm going to try to copy what VK does. And then suddenly I'm struggling. I'm not performing as well. Is VK full of it or what about what's going on? But the fact that he can actually explain, here is the stuff that you have to realize, both good and bad, so that it's actually, you have a really, almost like a 360 degree picture of, all right, depending on whatever business I want to go to, I want to go in this direction, I got to be worried about certain things. I have to be careful of certain things. Otherwise, you know, costs can go up, money comes down, and then now I'm unhappy, right? So trying to dip those in the bud helps a lot in that. So, all right, we're going to go from the page. Hey, you need an error-free website? Do you need transcription that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. 
At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Now it's time for tips from the pro. The tips from the pro segment here. So this is for people, uh, VK, that actually want to get into the digital marketing space. So now you're the expert in that. So we're going to try to pick your brain on, on that. So question number one, in your opinion, is there any small profitable niches right now that someone who wants to start their own firm can get into? Because when people look at it, they can see all these people that are selling everything, SEOs and and uh, social media and courses. So is there a small niche that if someone wanted to start something that they can uh, get some quick wins in? You know, I think everybody has different preferences. I'm sort of guy, um, you know, more like old school. I want long-term stability and success rather than, you know, I sold uh, X amount of Amazon products and made some money and then I had to figure out something else in the next three months, right? Um, I think the mindset has to evolve in the sense it's okay to have multiple businesses and short-term gigs, but at least have one that has your basis covered. No matter what happens, this has the income for you, and then you can come back and focus to it, right? And with the selling courses and whatnot, I have seen um, more fake people that artificially inflates their wealth and show off to make people buy. I mean, even like look at Ty Lopez, right? Like he never had that, but in every video for the first one year, was showing off his villas and expensive cars and whatnot. And I don't know, like uh, a lot of youngsters believe that something is okay to do. And in a way you're manipulating people to buy your course, which you haven't really lived through that life, right? I mean, now he, this guy, even though he hasn't had a real life experience, he read a lot of books and after $200 million in a couple of years, yes, like now, you know, you can see him. He went through his own journey and he has that expertise. Um, so it's important to have that clarity in terms of do I really want short-term gigs? And if there are the reasons, like, you know, write down one to four and these long-term goals, like one to four. But every small step that you take, it has to be attached with the long-term goals. I'm going back to the, um, like, Amazon Marketplace, uh, BSLers. Um, everybody's doing that, and you're not building brand value, right? So you sell, like, some other products, and then you made some money, and then you move on to the next product. But how do you build a brand around it so you are building a brand value even though you're selling third-party products? Look at Walmart, perfect example, right? Amazon itself selling third-party products, but Amazon has brand value. So how do you kind of position yourself and build that long-term business versus short-term things? Yeah, it's some of those courses. I've seen some of those too that, uh, you know, always selling products. I think they tried to rationalize it that, having a service-based business is a lot more challenging because yeah. if you go away, you know, the, the services go with you, but as opposed to a product particular company, people are always going to keep buying. So they, they almost kind of make it that it seems like it's more hands-off, right? It's more like, oh, okay, yeah, just pick some products, try to get the first seller list. And then that's it. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. very alluring to the people that maybe not have that entrepreneurial spirit. They might think, Oh, I can make, Four figures a month extra from aside from my day job? Why not, right? Yeah, some people do. And I think it's just the easiest thing to do, right? Like I have done like Amazon Marketplace and sold my products. I have done all these drop shipping through, you know, printing t-shirts and whatnot. Everything has its own advantages and limitations. But at the end of the day, on a long-term basis, the amount of time that goes into to build this in the initial couple of years, it's not worth my time, right? Mm -hmm. And Again, going back to services, there is the other challenge. You have to continuously innovate and improve yourself. And you are offering a service, so you have to put your time into it. And when it comes to, I think, uh, our industry, digital marketing here, uh, there are a lot of tools now, right? Like for video production to uh, voiceovers and whatnot. And that's kind of like the next level. 
Uh, but not everybody can afford it. But behind all of this, you still need a person who understands the business brand and a you know have a proper strategy around it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So next question, how do you keep yourself educated or stay up to date in your digital marketing space? Like, do you have like magazine subscriptions or websites you go to, market intelligence reports, or do you have like mentors or how do you stay on top of the industry? Um, so for both personal, personal life, I, I go to three to six conferences a year. Um, I learned it from somebody else or I read it in a book. Basically, uh, some are uh, professional industry conferences, some for personal development. So you balance it out. When you go to the conferences, you're learning something that's not even off the shelves yet, right? Like when Facebook or when I go to this um, Facebook conference, F8, um, you get to see and experience the products that's not even available in a year or two to the public. So you get that advantage on how to leverage that for your clients, right? And having a a mentor on a regular basis at the personal level. You know, this mentor can be not just business coach, but also, uh, you know, like a counselor, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have challenges and you can talk to somebody and you let that out and find clarity around it. Uh, you want to have some of these people. And with the books, I read all sorts of books, but mostly nonfiction um, and they're, different levels on how you run the business too. So it's kind of amazing how uh, a, you know, half a million dollars uh, business can be so much different than $500 million business, but even the ground principles are exactly the same. And how do you have process and people around that? So how do you get there, right? That's like my intention to grow the agency. Um, and, and I read about like, you know, 20 books average a year. And that's just been very numb like either audiobooks or something that i can just be laying down in the bed um and at some point it becomes all the same but the concepts explained through their own lenses and their own experiences so some of these are just basic reminders so as long as you get that core 90 percent good and then the 10 percent is evolving technology and you know innovations um you will subscribe to all these uh, podcasts and websites, right? Like a simple thing I would do is I have certain keywords I set up on Google Alerts, right? And every morning it lands in my inbox and I look at it, what's new with this, right? And there's some very specific newsletters from, um, you know, Social Media Examiner and also uh, Peter Demandis from Xprize Foundation, like Future Loop. I think that's his newsletter. Um, and it's, it's learning at different levels. So future loop always has, um, technologies that's at experimental stage. Think about space like 14 years ago when these yeah. guys are running like moonshots and still experimenting. Is that even possible? Right. So you get to experience a lot of these things, right? Like, you know, companies that are trying to make water out of thin air, these kind of things. Then when you look at industry-specific ones, um, you know, through social media ex um, examiner or mad cats, like all these, uh, you you get to know what's happening on hands in the industry that we may not be able to use for our clients, but just being aware of it. Yeah, that, that's so, pretty good to hear, right? And let me get these last couple in here. I know I want to be cognizant of your time here. So uh, for what should... What is the best billing practice for someone doing a digital marketing firm like yourself? Should it some, be something like a monthly retainer? Should it be billable by hour? Should it be by project? What would you suggest someone starting this out? What would, would be the best billing practice? Um, I have seen multiples. And I think, um, you know, most of the 20% the marketing clients that we have, it's an ongoing year on year. And as long as, you know, you're doing a good job and have that trust and integrity with them, they're going to be your clients forever, right? Like most of these clients that I'm talking about, they're with us like eight, nine years. So you want to build that trust with them. And with the way how you structure the package, um, you really want to be careful. You can take short-term projects or long-term projects, but how do you upcharge for short-term projects, right? So you're creating a brand package. You can get it for $500 and Fiverr, or you can spend like $50,000 on the brand package. But what kind of project do you want to take and set your standards high? 
if somebody comes to you, hey, can you do this for me? Like mostly family and friends that recommend you, especially in the early stages of starting a business. Do I really want to do that? Because it's giving me that experience and it's also provides me for my portfolio and I have the time. But as you grow, you wouldn't have the same time and you wouldn't take the same type of points, right? Uh, and I still remember the days where we were taking like $2,000 website projects. Now, like we only take $10,000 plus clients, unless like, you know, if it is a redesign or an existing client, then we kind of evaluate it case by case basis. So what type of client you work with, what kind of project. And then I think as a business, the bottom line has to be uh, there. Like, you know, are you making any profit and how short term it's going to be? because it's going to help your cash flow. And at the same time, you are providing the best value possible for the client. No, that's and as long as you have both of that, can be short-term, long-term, it doesn't matter. Uh, and I personally felt doing short-term, you can bring in more projects because you, know, you can charge $15,000 for a brand package for three months. And you can have uh, an SEO clients for six months for the same money. Interesting. No, yeah. that's good deal. Good deal. All right, last question before we hit to the fun stuff and we wrap it up is, what is your best advice to deal with, I guess, difficult clients and also maybe difficult staff? Uh, it's, um, you, you live and learn with a lot of these clients and employees. Um, for employees, you can have a good HR person and look at the culture fit, and that avoids all sorts of headaches uh, moving forward and have a proper contract, right? Like, you know, when my lawyer charged me $5,000 to have an employment contract or my client contracts, I spend that money because it's important for me to know that I'm covered in every way possible both from my clients and employees, and you had to spend the money, right? I could have Googled it, downloaded it, and pay $100 to do this. It's not the same, right? So I invested some money to have proper documentation there uh, for everybody to sign up. And dealing with the clients too, um, having, you know, you have a presentation, you have a proposal, uh, and make sure whatever the discussions are copied into the contract. Like, you know, I don't use the word contract, even though I'm saying it. I, it's an it's an agreement. Like I tell my client, okay, this is what we discussed. I'm going to send you the agreement for you to sign up. That includes the services provided exactly. And if it is an app or a website, you will include the technical documentation in the process and what exactly it's going to do, and how much you're charging for it, and what are the terms, and what happens if that's not paid, and who is paying for the long-term maintenance of some long-term plugins that, that you had to buy, right? With the WordPress sites that we do. And and just having the client here run. And I think sometimes clients still come back and say, no, that is not what I want. I wanted to do it this way. And you give them the best, right? Like I want all my bookings going to my Google Calendar. It's great, but you don't have a G Suite account. So you need to set that up. Like, you know, so there is an extra step there that we haven't talked about, right? So how do you give them what they want? Sometimes, uh, I mean, not sometimes, like always you look at like customers, right? And go that extra mile to help them out. And sometimes like I, we didn't make any money on the projects, but as long as they're happy, especially in the initial stages, you want the customer to be happy and you're doing everything you can to avoid that confrontation, but you can't please everybody, right? Yeah, like I know a lot of small businesses that I talk to, a lot of them almost do like a pre-screening of potential mm -hmm. clients, right? So, you know, the client can be waving money, but like let, let's find out if this is a great fit, right? Because it's easier to get to stop it right then and there and maybe, yeah, no while let's start the business together versus taking the money and they're a pain in the butt of a client to be with where you start dreading, that call or that email or that uh, Monday morning where you know you're going to have to speak to them, right? And that's not what we got into business for, right? Yeah, everybody has different expectations, right? There are clients that expect you to reply within five minutes to some clients that want you to do all the work, like even though you needed that keywords that they want to focus on, right? So it's just setting those boundaries. And I think 
um, like when we acquire the clients, okay, we make sure they have the money to spend. And this is the amount that really gets them the results and anything under won't really help them. And you tell them straight up front, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, unless you spend this much money, you're not going to see a huge difference in your business. And they go somewhere else and spend that pennies, but they never see the results. You know, it's just kind of getting the advertising spend in the drain. And with some clients, you can see uh, the expectations. Okay, I wanted you to do this research. I want to come up with this um, strategy on how you sell your product. You know, that that's not our job. Like, you have a product, you have a team that really did all this business analysis to come up with the product, then we know how to market it. Like, it's not our job to really see if there's a demand for that cheap product or not. Mm -hmm. So it's all about, like, setting the boundaries and knowing. And I think it all comes from the experience as you work through uh, some, you know, difficult clients. Absolutely. So, hey, you, do you need a voiceover? Well, look no farther. Northway Capital Group has your answer. Commercials and explainer videos, AVR and voicemail, health and wellness. Corporate training and e-learning, announcements, documentaries, and biography. Contact us on social media or email us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. All right, let's just finish this off with a rapid fire round. This is more just of the fun questions, more relaxed of all the serious stuff that we talked about in the entire episode. So, VK, here we go. Question number one. I asked this to all my guests. If there was a sandwich named after you, what would be on it and what would you call it? Can you repeat again? If there was a sandwich named after you, what sandwich. would be in it? Yeah. I, I heard sandwich and I'm like, <laughs> did I hear it right? That's um, right. I don't know. I'm not a great sandwich person, but I will just call it uh, uh, Mr. Beast alternative. <laughs> What's in it though? What's in it? Uh, it would be, um, you know, something like some protein, some some greens and whatnot, right? It has to be good for the body. Um, but you always want to have that marketing gimmick. I mean, right? Like, yeah. Oh, Mr. Beats is selling this burger. So Mr. Beats alternative, right? Mr. Beats alternative. <laughs> well, you know, you know, has a hard time with that question, VK. Anyone in the food service that I've that I've had, I've had a few chefs on, and the minute I ask them that question, that almost takes up like five, ten minutes of the conversation because they're so specialized in it that they're just like the the brain. Yeah, they know so like, much. They know so much, and I'm thinking a lot of people are like, oh, you know, ham, mustard. <laughs> Mayo, some lettuce on a bagel. That's it. <laughs> and we'll call it something else. So, all right, next question. What word or phrase do you most overuse? Um, you know, apart from us and thems, I think, um, uh, like, you know, compassion. I, I use that quite often because... Like, you know, being compassionate about ourselves, right? It's part of the self-care, but also compassionate about the people around you. And and it's all based around uh, mindset and mental wellness. Nice. All right. All right. Next question here. What is something that most people are obsessed with that you just don't get? Uh, definitely materialistic things. I I can I can't still justify going there, spending like you know ten thousand dollars for a, a purse and and show that so, social status. I mean, I don't understand like people still trying to please, like, you know, you're in your 40s and you're very successful. What do you worry about really? Like, you know, the personal image and whatnot, right? Because that's, yeah. you're still trying to prove something, you know, there are, and I usually see that um, unhealed trauma, right? Like, you know, during my childhood, I want to impress my parents, whatever, right? I want to get that attention and do that. But once you're grown up, once you're mature enough and seeing all these things, like, is it really worth it? Yeah. You know, I, I saw this one um, profile. I can't remember the name of it, but this person was showing off, uh, I think it was, a, it was her $1,500 flip-flops. Mm -hmm. I never understood that for flip-flops. I mean, you could go to Old Navy and get them for like five bucks and I'm sure they're just as comfortable, but uh, I never understood that. I'm still slow. I'm trying to understand TikTok 
my daughter does a lot of TikTok dances and stuff, and I'm thinking, how long is this dance that you have to do? Oh, like five seconds. And I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do that from a business perspective to get a five seconds. And then, because then I asked her, VK, oh, do you want to take like dance class or something? Because thinking that might pique your interest. She's like, yeah, no. Like she'll watch, a, she'll watch someone do the TikTok dance and she'll do herself doing the exact TikTok dance that is. And she's content with that. She doesn't want to go do a class and learn some cool things. It's more like, no, it's on demand. I think just this generation is an on-demand generation. And and they're like, yep, I want to do that specific dance. Yeah, yeah. It's, That's all I TikTok do. is like more like edutainment, right? There is education and entertainment. Um, yeah. I do spend quite a bit of time on TikTok. And, but all my feed is about stocks, something that I'm learning. Sometimes I don't even see that stuff on Twitter or any other platforms. Um, so I really like the AI, yeah. the algorithm behind t- TikTok that really knows what you want and pushes that content. Yeah, I know she's trying to get me on TikTok. I'm like, I don't know how I can do my podcast for TikTok unless it's like a five second clip of me saying rapid fire round. And then, you know, that's that's it. That's a TikTok thing. And I'm like, that's it. I only have five or 10 seconds. There is I'm a, like, oh boy. Maybe I just yeah, there is a, a TikTok. Um, I think it's called Gen XRP. It's a uh, dad and daughter. Uh, he's an investor. So he oh. doesn't really dance and, you know, old school, but, you know, old school in a good way. When I say that, um, lots of experience and basically yeah. his daughter asks a question like, dad, what do you think about the crypto today? Like, what is the news today? Right. So they, they build a channel really good. Uh, so it's not everybody, but there are very specific people that like that channel. Yeah. All right. Last two questions and we'll call it a day there, my friend. Uh, would you rather go 30 days without your phone or a lifetime without dessert? <laughs> I'm in technology, so definitely I'll pick the phone and queue uh, up the dessert. <laughs> I, I, you know what? You, you're like a lot. I've talked to a few digital marketers in the past, and the last one, uh, Brian, he's like he called me the devil and he <laughs> called me evil because you know he loves he loves his desserts, but he also is like yourself, a digital marketer who lives off the who needs the phone, right? And I tried to make it easier for him. I said. You know, a tablet can still be used. I just said, I just had a phone. So, you know, you could use your tablet, right? But he was still upset. He's like, oh, you, how dare you do without the desserts and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> aside from I love desserts too. I love uh, desserts question, too. But, you know, yeah. and I think I spend more time on my phone than enjoying a dessert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of people enjoyed the dessert part during the pandemic in the first part, which is why everyone's got to get rid of the COVID weight, right? So, I think uh, I think it'll be ten years later. I'll be like, "Yep, I'm still trying to get off the COVID weight, <laughs> right?" So, <laughs> last thing here, last question I ask to all my guests here. So, what is your theme song, VK? So that song hits. You're walking down the street. People know VK. Um, there, there are actually multiples. Like, um, you know, Brian Adams uh, waking up the neighbors, and then um, Phil Collins. Um, you know, I think uh, Cadbury's used that song. In their advertisements as well, um, it, like there's some songs like you just want to keep listening, right? But uh, like waking up the neighbors, I think it's just kind of really helped me to get out every morning, like during my uh, school days. Wow, I don't hear Brian Adams very often, but I loved I loved him in the '90s, and I think even in the '80s as well. Phil Collins, I All think, time. really great artist back then too. So. It's there. So any last final thoughts, uh, VK, any words of inspiration to this next generation of entrepreneurs that, you know, that may be afraid to to do something with this time? I think like we're all entrepreneurs at um, some point in one way or other, but a lot of us don't realize that um, an entrepreneurship is the great way to create that freedom. And when you look at long term, like you can retire 50 or 45 whenever you want and you can travel. And I want everybody to try that entrepreneurship, whether you're into technology, whatever, find that niche and uh, experiment with it and see how much you love. But have the passion behind it. And sometimes you don't have it, but always bring in other people like partners in the business who can help you with other things that you're missing. Um, and and it's kind of like strange, like uh, when I talk to some of um some of my friends or I coach other business owners, they say, oh, I don't think I'm an entrepreneur. I'm like, 
Um, so when you're a 15 year old, did you ever negotiate with your mom, like getting that ice cream or a chocolate bar? <laughs> That's exactly. Or those pair of shoes That's or exactly something. That's exactly what it yeah. is. And how stubborn you are at the time trying to get what you want. And you have all these, uh, you know, not excuses, but reasons to get that for you. And exactly same thing. How badly you want to solve a problem that's really helping the community or the other businesses so that you can charge some money. And it all comes down to the service and negotiations. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, where can people find you, VK, if they want to utilize your service? They want to um, on my to website, uh, luckynanny.com, L-A-K-K-I-N-E-N-I.com, or my Instagram at uh, VKLuckyNanny, L-A-K-K-I-N-E-N-I. Wow, that's great. So thanks for being on the show, VK. That was Thank a you, Ken. Really appreciate you, my man. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories Podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.